my name is Jeremy. I'm one of the pastors on staff. For those of you who are new, it's been said before, but I'll say it again this evening. We're so glad that you're here. Those of you who are here all the time, we're glad that you're here as well. But you know that. So those of you who are new to church, who have come back to church, or whatever brings you here, whether you came willingly or if you came kicking and screaming, whether you came because you thought that this was the only thing you need or if you think that this is the last thing that you need. Glad that you're here. And we believe it and we say it every week. We don't believe in accidents. We don't believe in accidents at all. We believe that God is working in all of us. He's working a good work in every single one of us. And that's an important thing to remember. But all the things that you could think of this year as you kick off a new year, all the things that you think about, you think about what happened last year and what do you want to have happen this year, of all the things that could happen, we need to always remember that God is working in us. Whether we know it or not, acknowledge it or not, or accept it or not, God is working in our lives. And when we come and we worship, we have the opportunity, hopefully, to step back and to see and to be reminded of all the ways that things happen. And sometimes those things that happen are things that we would have never want to have had happen in our lives. We wouldn't wish them on our worst enemies. But we know that even in that, that God can work and God can move. God didn't cause that to happen to you. God can redeem it. God is at work. And he moves. And he does incredible, unimaginable things. For those of you who've been around Hope for a while, you, you know that each year we have a theme that kind of guides every preaching series we do throughout the year. For those of you who are new, this is something that I want you to know, that every year we don't pick sermons individually or by a series by accident. We are very intentional on, on how we put it all together and how it looks. And so last year, our theme that governed the whole year was to know and be known. And we believe and we know from Scripture that it's God's desire. Jesus has asked, what's the most important commandment in all of the law? Of all of the rules that people have that have been given by God, rules that give them life, what's the most important thing? And Jesus says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And to love your neighbor as yourself. The most important thing in life is to know and be known by God, to get to know the God that created you, that wired you, and has incredible plans for you. And to know that you're known by that God intimately and personally. And like it to know and be known by one another, that community is an incredibly important thing. You heard it in the announcements, you heard it in Hope 360, this encouragement to take a course like Alpha. And if you haven't signed up, I'd sign up now. If you're looking for a way to plug in, to find the meaning of life, to find and investigate more about faith, or maybe you've been a part of faith for so long that you can't remember not having faith, Alpha is still an important thing for you because you get plugged not only into the God who created you, but it all, you also get plugged into community. It's not just to, be know, to know and to be known by God, but it's also to know and be known by one another allows us to find our place and to find people who can walk through life with us. Which leads directly into the theme that we have for this year. Our theme for 2018 is we're on a mission from God. Unapologetically stolen from the Blues Brothers. 
We're on a mission from God. But, but you already know that. Did you, did you hear the number that was given in Hope 360? We, each Lent, the season before Easter, and each Advent, the season, the weeks before Christmas, we take it upon ourselves as a church that we feel that God has called us together and God has blessed us, not just as a church, but also the individuals that are part of this church, and we feel that as a community, we can make a difference and an impact in the world. And so during Lent and during Advent, during those seasons, we say, well, what, where are people hurting in the world that we could help? That we could help point them to Jesus by, by doing something. And so we worked with a partner of ours this Advent called Child Voice to try to help the worst refugee crisis on the globe, to help women and single mothers and their children in very war-torn areas. And our goal before Advent, because it's the Christmas season and all the busyness of it, our goal was $200,000. As a church, you gave you gave, you responded, you understand this so incredibly well. You, did you hear that? $513,000, give God praise for your generosity. Because thousands, thousands of people's lives are going to be changed through what you've done. Not just to be changed in the immediate sense, which that's incredibly important. We wanna help people from the immediate, from, from the crisis that they may be confronted with in their life, that's incredibly important. And as we look at our theme this year on a mission from God, that is definitely a part of it, that we wanna step in and to help people and to help one another in our times of crisis and tragedy, in times where we don't know how to take the next step, but it's bigger than that, because the people that are affected by your generosity isn't just for their current need, it's for eternity. This mission that we're on from God isn't just about picking projects and doing charitable things. Oh, it will involve that at times. But it's much deeper than that. Trust me, there are things that are deeper than that. And it's what Jesus instructed his disciples to do just before he sends into heaven. It's the mission, we call it the Great Commission. We find it in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. It's what we base our mission statement as a church on, to reach out into the world around us and share the everlasting love of Jesus Christ. It's also found in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And if you would, would you please read this with me? And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is our mission. This is the most important thing. I always think in my mind an image when I think about faith and I think about our role in faith and I think about what we're called to do as a church and, and I always think about it in my mind when I see all of us here and I think about myself as well that every one of us is here standing on the shoulders of somebody who came before us, somebody who loved us enough to say, you know what, let me tell you let me tell you about this God that I know. Let me tell you about this faith. Let me tell you about this thing that gives me poi in, uh, peace in the midst of chaos, joy in the midst of sorrow. And if they wouldn't have told you that, 
believe that God could have used somebody else, but they had an incredible impact on who you are and your identity and your future and the assurance that you have of your eternity. It's the most important thing because it's the only thing that has the ability to transform our lives. Because sometimes, you don't need me to tell this to you. Sometimes things don't go the way that they were intended to, do they? Sometimes things happen in our life where we wonder if we've hit the end of a road and we don't know what way things could possibly ever turn out. And, and we start to wonder about things like, like God and our purpose and our identity and, and our value and our worth and our merit and, and, and what's the, the solution to all of the mess that we found in this current circumstance. And we start to wonder if this is redeemable at all. That's why this first series that we're doing this year is not only is it going to be a lot of fun, because it's going to be a lot of fun, it's going to be one of the most fun series that I can ever remember preaching on because it's based on TV shows that we binge on. And I'm an avid indoorsman. I really am. Some of you are avid outdoors people. I'm an avid indoors person. Like I love, I, and, and I finally feel good because I'm not a movie buff at all, but I love TV. I love TV. Now, I, I love to do exercise and to, to do uh, things physically, so don't think I just sit on my couch all day. But for 23 hours a day, I sit on my couch, and I love TV. I love it. And so when we were talking about this series, Genesis, a binge-worthy Bible series, I'm like, great. Because now I can binge on TV shows, and if somebody says, what are you doing? I'm, I can say, I'm working. I have to do it. The Lord called me to do this wonderful work of binging on television shows. Because <laughs> we do, don't we? I don't know what the show you watch that you just has gripped you, and you've watched it over and over and over again. You just literally get to a place where you can't, you can't fathom how you lost sense of time so much. Like, oh my goodness, I should have been in bed like two hours ago. And the story and the storyline is so gripping. And even though the circumstance may seem like it's a little bit of hyperbole, it still is like this connects to my life and to my experience. What we're doing is we're looking at some of those shows, but we're walking through the book of Genesis. The very beginning, the way it all started. Because, you know, we know sometimes that there is the mess. And in that, we wonder was this the way that it was supposed to be? We see all of the things that happened that sometimes are by our own accord, but also are just a product of our humanity. Because at the very beginning, when you go back to the very beginning of the story of Genesis, one of my favorite things that each year, one, one, of, one of my personal like devotion things that I do is I read through scripture every year. I, I bought a daily walk Bible in our bookstore about seven years ago. And each year, that's just what I do. I read, the, read it front to back every year. And it's so fun. And it's so fun because the more and more and more I get to know about God, the more I know, get to know God. I know a lot of you do the same discipline. 
And if you don't do it, I would encourage you to try it. And maybe not to do the Bible in a year, but to focus on a book and start to get to know God's word because it's, it's amazing. And it's, it's not boring. And you'll be amazed at how much it speaks to, to your life. You start to think about it. You start to think, my goodness. This is like reading in, in some way, shape, or form. It's like reading my own biography. And one of my favorite things is when I get to January 1st and I start to read Genesis 1, verse 1. It says, it's in the beginning. I always am reminded that that wasn't the beginning of God. We know that God is and God was and God always will be. I don't know what God was doing before God created humanity. But when we read that first verse in the first book of the Bible, we start to understand our story. And it's the story of God and his people. About you and about me, Genesis to Revelation, cover to cover, continuing on to now. In Genesis chapter 1 and 2 is about God creating the world and everything in it. Two different accounts, two, two parallel accounts that actually don't compete with one another at all. They're telling the story from a different lens, from a different angle, from a different side. They're talking about the same thing. They're approaching it from different angles. And it's about God creating and God creating good and perfectly and, and creating to be in relationship with, with his creation not just the created order of things, but also humanity, Adam and Eve, and, and they were created to be in relationship with one another. And everything was as it was supposed to be. But then something happened. Which I think we go through in many different ways and forms in our own lives, that everything was going exactly the way that it was supposed to go, whatever supposed to go looks like for you. And then some, something happened. And when that something happened, we, we, we start to question the whole thing. And we not even, don't, don't only even question the whole thing, we start to maybe even question ourselves. And if it's not just questioning the whole thing and questioning ourselves, most definitely we are probably questioning God. And it all begins here. Genesis chapter 3. You heard Stuart read it in the Bible reading today. Sin enters the world, the fall of hum humankind. Adam and Eve are in the garden, and, and God had given them a call, and he had given them a purpose. He says, Adam and Eve, you're to serve the ground, and you're to serve creation, but you're also to serve mutually, you're to serve one another, and you can enjoy everything. I created this for you and with you, and, and, and this is for you to enjoy, but, but there's one. There, there's just one boundary, and the boundary is to, to stay away of, we would say in our terms today, the forbidden fruit. Actually, it was the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
God says to Adam and Eve, not because God is a God who withholds things, but God is a God who knows what's best for us. And, and God can see from beginning to end and, and knows that, that the fruit of this tree would not be good for Adam and Eve. And so God doesn't limit them. He gives them a gift. But the Bible says that the serpent comes in to their relationship. And starts to ask the question, can you trust God? I mean, that, that thing that is out there that you want so badly. Did God really say you can't have that? Or, or shouldn't, you, shouldn't you be able to decide for yourself what's best for you, right? I mean, we play that game all the time. I play that game all the time. Like, sure, I mean, sure, that's not what I'm supposed to do, but, but really, I mean, maybe just a little bit, or, or maybe if it, if it suits me, or it makes me feel good, or whatever it is, if it, it's going to serve my purpose, then most certainly, I should be able to call all of the shots in my life. And the serpent comes in and says to Adam and Eve the very same thing. He literally twists God's words. God had said to Adam and Eve, you can eat from any of the trees, any of the fruit of the trees in the garden except for one. And the serpent, you see what the temptation does in our lives? Starts to distort the gifts that God has given us. Boundaries, limits. Did God really say you must not eat the fruit of any of the trees? Why shouldn't you be able to do what you want to do? Even if there's others that are going to suffer from it. Because one of the, on the onset, I, I agree. On the onset, it seems so good. On the onset, it seems so justifiable. That everything should be about me having it the way that I want to be. But my question is, at what cost? When that thing becomes a God for you, what's the cost? What's the fallout? One of the shows that I have binged on, it was a show that initially when it became popular, it became co popular on, on Netflix. It was on uh, AMC or something like that. I don't know. I don't watch TV. I watch Netflix because I can watch it faster and I love things faster. But it came out and I had told my wife, I said, Bridget, there's this show that everybody's talking about. It's a show about a high school chemistry teacher. And this high school chemistry teacher he is confronted with some horrible circumstances in his life. He finds out that he is ill, and he finds out a good thing is that his wife is pregnant, he has a son, and he realizes that the treatment for his cancer is going to be more than he can afford. And so he has a gift of science. He says, the gift of chemistry. And I said, it's a great show. It's a wonderful show. Maybe we should even invite our kids to watch the show. It's called Breaking Bad. And my wife said, that doesn't sound good to me. She's like, why would I want to watch something about a drug dealer? And I'm like, because it's really good. So just a caution, 
If you haven't watched Breaking Bad, don't. It's really good. It's incredibly good. But it is not a moral show at all. And so I decided that I had to start watching it when nobody else was around. Because it's not suitable for kids. Trust me, kids don't watch the show. So I wake up early in the morning. I would go running in the morning. First thing I do every morning is I go for a run. And I would get done, and I would be done running by about 5.30, 5.35 in the morning. And while I would stretch before my kids get up, I would watch the show Breaking Bad. And some days, I wouldn't, it would be my day off of running, so I'd try to watch two shows. And I realized about a month into binging on the show, I shouldn't be watching the show to start my day. It skews everything. Like, there would be a loud noise at work, and I'd be like, oh, it's the DEA, and they're coming to get me. And it messed with me. But this show was so much more than about a guy who gets caught up manufacturing methamphetamines. It's about a guy by the name of Walter White who finds himself in a place where he has to decide between two things. What, what, what he wants to do to make it easier And really what, because it, be, it becomes something so horrible in his life. And it's this constant pull between good and evil and right and wrong. But it started off, it didn't start off so innocently. That would be a false statement. Because he's wondering whether or not he should manufacture methamphetamine. That's not innocent. But if you watch this first clip, you see that it starts off with him just wanting to try to do something that he disguises as something that's really going to help the people around me. This first scene is from the first episode. It's from Walt, the high school chemistry teacher and one of his former students a young man by the name of Jesse who is an essential character the entire series. Take a look. It starts as a plan for him just to cover some medical costs, quickly becomes a god for him. And that wasn't the way it was supposed to be. This RV becomes a central piece in the early seasons of this show, demonstrating the the length to which it had gone, how far off course they truly had gotten before they could have ever imagined it. I remember when I was about probably third or fourth, maybe fifth grade, it was back before cordless telephones, back when your telephone actually hooked into the wall. And in our downstairs, we had, in our living room downstairs, we had this wooden shelf that kind of uh, was right under the, the windows in the room. And, and on that shelf, we had our telephone and we had a, a notepad. Because remember when you didn't have cell phones or answering machines, you actually had to take messages for people? I know, it seems like ancient. And so we had this notepad, and next to it was this basket full of pens and pencils. And so when anybody called, if somebody wasn't home, you know, hello, you've reached the Johnsons, is, you know, is Kirsten, my sister there, and said, no, she isn't, but can I take a message for her? Well, this one day, somebody calls, they asked for my sister, and I 
saw that there was the pen there, pens there, but there was no paper. Didn't know what to do. I mean, actually, I did know what to do. I could have said, could you hold on, please? And I could have put the phone down and gotten some paper. But in the moment, I thought, I I can't reach any paper, and I have this phone that's stuck to the wall. And so I had this brilliant, brilliant idea. And the brilliant idea was I was going to carve the phone number into the wood ledge in our downstairs. And for a moment, it sounded like the best decision I could have ever made. I mean, it was genius. I had a writing utensil. I had a writing surface. What more could you want? Until I got done writing it, and about 20 minutes later, I heard my mom's voice. What just happened here? The first thing I did was I blamed my brother and my sister. I don't know. She said, well, I'm going to call the phone number. And I said, don't, 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 don't call the phone number. Let's ask Kirk and Kirsten. And so it became this whole thing. So now what was once my poor decision now became my brother and sister's problem as well. And all three of us were now grounded. And my parents left the room and left us in it and said, you guys have to figure out how this happened. We'll talk to you in a little bit. And the door closed, and it was interrogation time between myself and my brother and sister who knew that I did it, but I wouldn't admit it. I started to think to myself, how on earth did I get myself here? What What am I supposed to do? Because now, not only did I tell the lie to my mom and dad, but I'm now lying to my brother and sister. I'm living a lie, and this one event now has become the thing that defines me, that I can't imagine that I'm ever going to find any release or freedom from. Sound familiar? Ever have one of those in your life? Where maybe the, the first time that it started to, to pop up that it actually might happen You thought, that's not that big of a deal. But then one thing happens to the next, and all of a sudden you're like, how could could it have gone off the rails so much? And you find yourself in a place that you don't know what you're going to do. That's what happens to Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve... They take the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they, they, they take a bite. And at that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame. And they were aware, yes, of their nakedness, but more of their imperfection. And they hide. God comes back into the garden and he sees that Adam and Eve aren't anywhere to be seen. Now here's the interesting thing. It was God. And God knew exactly where they were. They weren't able to hide anything from God at all. But, but Adam and Eve still, they go off and, and God says, where are you? And Adam says, I, I heard that you were coming and, and, and so I hid. I tried to cover it up. I, I, I tried to escape it. Man, we do that. We, we, we wonder what is going on with the mess and how we could ever find our way out of it. And sometimes we, 
we can start to think that there isn't an answer at all for it. That somehow what has happened is now the, the, the driving force of our lives. It's the result of sin in the world. Don't, don't like to talk about sin, but it's important to the Bible says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth isn't in us. Not just a quick pause button. If you're here today and hearing that makes you say, well, that's just another person that tells me how unlovable I am. Here's the end of the story. God loves you no matter what. God loves you. God loves you. He sent his son into the world to to die for you and to be raised to a new and everlasting life and so you're washed clean and so just for you, if that's what your perception of faith and religion and church is just about all the ways in which you're wrong, I just want to ruin the end of the story right now because I don't want anyone to check out right now and just say that just proves that I have no place in this place. No, God loves you and there's nothing that you could ever do that could make God quit loving you. But we also have to acknowledge the truth that sometimes as a result of just the nature that we have, by nature we are sinful and unclean. We find ourselves in the mess. Like Walt did. With the story, the the whole series of Breaking Bad is about this man who at the beginning of the show, we start to see him in such a beautiful, in such almost a noble light that this man would go to such great lengths to, to try to save his family. But by the end of it, you can't help but see the darkness that has so grasped him and enveloped him that you almost begin to loathe him as a person. Because of how he was dealing with his mess. The things that he was doing to try to make it better. And the one thing he didn't do and the one thing, it's almost the last episode. It's the last season. There are constant opportunities to Walt to to, to turn back and to kind of make the decision and kind of to go the opposite way, to turn back, to not be breaking bad anymore, but to be breaking for good now. But he just never can get there. And the one person from the beginning of the show that you never imagined could ever make the turn is this young man who is the drug dealer that he pairs with, a former student. The first episode of the first season, the young man named Jesse who gets to a point where he says, I'm done with the mess. I'm done with it. I can't do it anymore. I have to make a new, I have to make a new choice. The life that I'm living, all of the things that I'm trying to keep up, they just can't sustain me anymore. I need something more. I need somebody who can give me an answer that I can't give myself. Wow, do we find ourselves in those places sometimes. And this one scene, for me, it's one of the two pinnacle scenes in the entire show. Walt and Jesse have this conversation where Jesse's giving him the opportunity to get out. And you're just just hoping upon hope that he'll take it. Maybe he can get out of the mess. Take a look. 
See, one of the horrible things I believe that is a result, the most horrible thing I believe is the result of Adam and Eve in the garden is somehow we feel that maybe ourselves or somebody else that their fate has been sealed. That maybe our, our lot in life or maybe our future in life is determined by what we have done or what we haven't done, by what we've said or by what we haven't said. That somehow we've gone down a road in life and there is no redemption or restoration or, 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 or no, no, no light at the end of the tunnel for us. And you see, what Walt wasn't able to realize is what we want to make sure that all of us come to an understanding and we can realize is that there is hope and there is life and there is a solution to the mess and the upside down aspect of the world that we live in. And that person is the person of Jesus Christ who loves you and who has given his life for you. It's, it's the redemption and the restoration that a guy by the name of David found, and, and David had found himself in a place that, that none of us could have ever imagined that he would have found himself in, and, and he had gotten to a place where he kept on hiding and hiding and covering and covering and trying to make it all better on his own, and finally David gets to the end of himself. He's found out. David says, because he knew, because of the God that had called and created him, that at the end of the story wasn't about him, but it was about the goodness and the graciousness of God. Oh, what a joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. See, that's the, the good news of the story. All of us, every single one of us, the Bible says, are like sheep, and we've gone astray. We've left God's paths to, to pursue our own. But the good news is that God has a plan and has a, a solution for that. Paul, who writes two-thirds of the New Testament, Paul writes about this in his letter to the Romans. Paul himself knew the mess that he had gotten himself into, but he had been restored and redeemed and set on a new path by God. And in Romans chapter 5, he says, For the sin of this one man, for the sin that took place in the garden, for the natural occurrence of the fallenness of humanity, brought death to many, but even greater, even greater, don't miss this, even greater is the wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness through Jesus Christ. Please hear that today. Please receive that, whatever it might be that you are wrestling with inside that you maybe feel that you have to hide that nobody else could ever be made aware of for fear of what they would think about you and how you think they would judge you. The answer and the promise and the forgiveness comes in Jesus Christ. You've been made new, you've been washed clean. It's the power of what we're gonna be able to celebrate in just a few moments through God's gifts of grace that we receive that we encounter in communion and in baptism. Paul says in, in Romans chapter six, says don't you know that when you've been joined to Jesus Christ through baptism, through his promise, not yours, you've been joined to him in his death and everything that you need to have put to death in your life gets put to death along with it. Your sin, your misgivings, your places where you feel that you just haven't met, all of those have been put to death. 
And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now you can live a new life. Oh, what joy when we know that our sins have been forgiven, and they have. Oh, what hope we find when we know that there is somebody who has an answer for what we can't, because he does. I mean, it's a new year. It's time for a new start. Or maybe it's time for a restart. Say, you know what? It's time for me to go back and get back and to to do what I know I was created to do. Start today. Today. Let today be the new day for you. The Bible says today is the day of your salvation. Let that be today. Because God's already made that abundantly available for each one of us that are here today. That his grace and his forgiveness and his promise of salvation and everlasting life, the forgiveness of sins, the promise of our eternity comes to us. It's been given to us through his death, through his resurrection. There's no greater time than today. You don't need to be perfect, you never will. You don't need to get it all right, you never will. You just need to sit and receive the good gifts of a good God who says, that's not going to be the answer for me. I'm going to be the answer for you.